So, we got to rewind just a little bit, um, a couple weeks, because last week, if you remember, we didn't, we didn't go to Nehemiah. We're going to this week. So, if you have a Bible with you, I'd invite you to open it with me to Nehemiah chapter 8. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 8 is going to be our text today. And two weeks ago, whenever we talked about Nehemiah 7, we talked about this shift that took place in the text. Because up to this point, Nehemiah had been very focused on building the wall, right? And it had all been about, let's build this wall, let's build this wall, let's build this wall. Well, the wall's built, so Nehemiah should be over now, right? Well, it's not. We still have the second half of the book. Because Nehemiah shifts from building the wall to building people, Um, That's always been God's intention. It was always to build the people for himself. But I think it becomes more clear to Nehemiah here halfway through this book as he sees this shift. Okay, the wall's complete. Now let's turn and let's build the people of God up. Let's encourage them. Let's let's build this people. So if we remember back to two weeks ago, we talked about what we do as we prepare to build people. As we prepare to build these people. And I, I told you that what we find in the text is that we establish this godly leadership. We identify the body. We pursue biblical purity. And then we participate in giving. And Nehemiah has done this. This part is over. Nehemiah did this already, right? He identified those who belonged to the body and those who didn't. He established godly leadership with his brother Hanani. And then this other guy named Hanani who we put in charge of the fortress. And he has also listed out that some of the people participated in the giving uh, to the work. So, he's prepared. This week, we get to the point of how do we build these people? How does he build these people? What does he actually do to build these people? Well, it's incredibly simple if we really think about it. How do you build a people? How do you build the people of God up? Um, And this really shouldn't be a secret, especially if you've been here any amount of time. The answer is, is this book. Like, it's the word. That's how we build people. And if we're trying to build people some other way, then we're not doing it right. That's the simplest way I can tell you. Like, you're just doing it wrong if you're trying to build people up with something else. Because why would we look somewhere else when we have the word of God in our hands? I mean, there's no need to go someplace else. It's the ministry of the word. And what something that seems like forever ago to me was, was just actually five months ago. But it seems like ages ago, we, uh, we did this Rooted series. And this was one of the things that I told you that we as a church, we want to be grounded in. We want to be rooted in. It's this ministry of the word. And it comes up again and again and again and again. And that's not by mistake. If we want to build a church that builds people, we need to emphasize the word of God. It needs to be emphasized. Because how else do we know how to follow how do, else do we know how to follow Christ? How else do we know who Christ is? It's through the word, through the word. And this is what Nehemiah does to build people. He turns to the word. See, because the truth is, faith, we can talk about faith all we want, but if faith isn't based on the word, it's not really the Christian faith. If faith isn't based and rooted in the word, then it's not really faith. At that point, it becomes presumption or superstition. And I don't want to be a bunch of superstitious people. I want to be people who are grounded. I want to be faithful people. So we need to open the word. We need to know the word. Which brings me to the question, what's the point of our gathering on a Sunday morning? What's the purpose? What's the point? Why do we do this thing where we all come together in this room and here in a minute we're going to stand up and we're going to read God's word. So Jared's going to read and then he's going to talk forever about what we just read. What's the point? Like what's the purpose in all of this? Well, hopefully I can answer that question as we go throughout our time today. I'm going to ask that you do stand with me now. Um, So would you stand as we read Nehemiah chapter 8? It's a long one, and there's some names, so stay with me, but we're going to read every word of it. 
We're actually going to start in the last half of the last verse of chapter 7. So, it says, When the seventh month came, and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people gathered together at the square in front of the water gate. They asked the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had given Israel. On the first day of the seventh month, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. While he was facing the square in front of the water gate, he read out of it from daybreak until noon before the men, the women, and those who could understand. All the people listened attentively to the book of the law. The scribe Ezra stood on a high wooden platform made for this purpose. Um, Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maasiah stood beside him on his right. To his left were Padiah, Mishael, Malchijah, Hashum, Hashbadanah, uh, Zechariah, and Meshulam. Ezra opened the book in full view of all the people since he was elevated above everyone. As he opened it, all the people stood up. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and with their arms uplifted, all the people said, Amen, Amen. Then they knelt low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shebathai, Hodiah, Maasiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peliah, who were the Levites, explained the law to the people as they stood in their places. They read out of the book of the law of God, translating and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was read. Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to all of them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go and eat what is rich, drink what is sweet, and send portions to those who have nothing prepared, since today is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, since today is holy. Don't grieve. Then all the people began to eat and drink, send portions, to have a great celebration, because they had understood the words that were explained to them. On the second day, the family heads of all the people, along with the priests and the Levites, assembled before the scribe Ezra to study the words of the law. They found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that all, or that the Israelites should dwell in shelters during the festival of the seventh month. So they proclaimed and spread this news throughout their towns and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the hill country and bring back branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make shelters, just as it is written. The people went out, brought back branches, and made shelters for themselves on each of their rooftops and courtyards the court of the house of God, the square by the water gate, and the square by the Ephraim gate. The whole community that had returned from exile made shelters and celebrated, uh, made shelters and lived in them. The Israelites had not celebrated like this from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until, the de- until that day. And there was tremendous joy. Ezra read out of the book of the law of God every day from the first day to the last. The Israelites celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day there was an assembly according to the ordinance. Thank God for his word. You may be seated. So, what's the point? Why do we gather? Well, hopefully, if we ask that a little bit different, we say, what do we do when we gather? The why we gather will also become clear. Okay, so what do we do when we gather? What's the point? Well, first, when we gather, we hear God's word. I'm going to make this as plain and simple as possible. Y'all are here, 
If you ever go to a church and you don't hear the word of God preached, if they never open the, the word of God, find a different church. Um, I'm just going to make that as simple as I can. Y'all are here, so hopefully you just heard the word of God. I mean, we just stood for a few minutes and we read it. So um, hopefully when we gather, we hear God's word. Okay, verse 1 says that all the people gathered at the square in front of the water gate. And see, throughout this passage, there's this emphasis on the people. It says the people over and over and over again. And we can see this emphasized. It says the people 13 times in this chapter. 13 times the people did something. In 9 of those 13 times, it says all of the people. Not just part of it, but the entire community. All of the people. See, it's not like it's just some random person or two that's being addressed here. Or a random person or two who did this or that. It is all the people. The whole community. And it specifically says that they gather. That they gather. Okay? This is what we do when we gather. We come to hear God's word. It's our first purpose. Whenever we come to this place, our goal should be to hear God's word. But did you notice that the language here is actually a little bit redundant? It says that they gathered together. And think about this for just a minute. Is it possible to gather apart? No. So by saying gather together, it's actually being redundant. It's saying the same thing twice, right? Gathering implies that they're together. As a matter of fact, so some of you all know I'm going to school. Every time I type gather or something like that, it's usually gathered them together or gathered together. Um, And every time that little squiggly blue line shows up under gathered together saying, you know what, you're saying the same thing here. You need to to, like shorten that up. Cut the together. Just say gather. Okay? So does the Bible use bad grammar here? Is that what's happening? Now, the answer is no. Um, It is redundant, but I think it's intentional. See, gathered implies the together. However, the CSB says gathered together. The NIV says came together as one. And honestly, I don't don't like to give the New King James all that much credit, but I'm going to do it right now. So if you read New King James Version, good for you, because it does a good job here. Um, It recognizes that the verb is gathered. They gathered together. That's implied there, okay? But this word together in the CSB, or where it says together in the NIV, this word is the the Hebrew word kaish. Kaish, okay? We have that one up there? Maybe it's already behind me. Kaish, yeah, there it is. Isn't that a fun word? It looks funny, just like a whole bunch of random things, right? But it literally means as one man. This body, these people, they gathered as one man, is what the text says. They gathered as one man. In other words, what happens is whenever they come together, this congregation assembled with one motivation, one purpose, one drive. One goal in mind. They came together to hear God's word. All of them together as one man wanted to hear God's word. And as I read this, I started thinking, is that why we gather on a Sunday morning? Is that why we show up? Some of you are nodding. But I would venture a guess to say that not all of us do. That sometimes we have split motivations. Sometimes I don't know that whenever we gather, we gather as one man. Now, I hope we do, and my prayer is that we do. I hope that we have that unity of purpose, that one drive to show up and meet together as one man with the purpose of hearing God's word. But I don't think that we always do. I think sometimes we lose sight of why we're here. 
I think sometimes whenever we gather, we do it with the purpose of hearing God's word. But sometimes, I think whenever we show up, we do it with the purpose of checking a religious box or having a fun social outing. And some of you are thinking, I don't know about a fun social outing. Um, I hope it's fun for you all, and I hope it's a fun social outing for you. Or maybe some of you, it's even just trying to appease relatives. I, I don't know. I think we come with split motivations. I think we often do. And see, the reason I bring this up is because I think that we would do a good job if we showed up on a Sunday morning and we said, God, let our one motivation, our one purpose as a church be to hear God's word. We want to hear from God. So whenever we come, we need to come and we need to say, Lord, help us to hear from you. We're here to hear from you. So God, help us. That needs to be our first, our first priority. See, the people here in Nehemiah, they actually... They not only got together to hear, hear the word, they asked to hear the word. Right, The last part of verse, of verse 1, it says, They asked the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had given Israel. See, I've only had this happen to me once where I didn't plan on preaching, and I got a phone call. It was something like 8 o'clock in the morning, okay? And just so you know, church starts at 10.30. I got this phone call at 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning. It was before I was a pastor of a church, and it was a guy saying, Hey, Jared, um, we don't have a preacher here this morning. Um, would you want to get your Bible and come on down here? That's only happened to me one time, and I don't know what that says about me, but it did happen one time. Um, but that's kind of what happens to Ezra here. They're getting together, and they call Ezra up, and they say, Ezra, we want to hear the book of the law. Would you bring it? Show up with your Bible. And what I love is that Ezra was ready. These people desperately wanted to hear the word of the Lord, and they're like, you know what? You know who we should call? We should call that guy who's ready. So let's call Ezra up. And if you actually go over to Ezra, chapter 7, verse 10, we, we looked at this in our small group Monday night. We talked about this verse. And it says, now Ezra had determined in his heart to study the law of the Lord, obey it, and teach its statutes and ordinances in Israel. See, Ezra was prepared to teach. He was prepared to open the book of the law. So whenever he got this phone call, and I know they didn't have phones, I get it, the analogy breaks down. But still, whenever he got this word, let's say carrier pigeon that came to him, whatever you want to call it. Whenever he gets this word that, hey, we want you to show up with your Bible... He was ready to open it and teach it. Why? Because he knew it. See, the reason I think that's so important is because I think a lot of times we have opportunity to share God's word with somebody. The issue then is, are we ready to share God's word with somebody? Now, the reason this is so important is because I'm, I'm, I'm going to deal with the body because I have an opportunity to speak to the body. But let's just break this down to the individual for just a moment. Y'all don't need me to hear God's word, do you? The vast majority of you can read. And we live in a time and a place where the Bible is exceptionally accessible. Like, more accessible than it's ever been in history. Honestly, most of you, right now, if you pulled out your phone, you probably have the Bible on your phone with you all the time, right? Anybody? Okay, good. Some of you. How many of you are reading? I want to know. How many of you have your Bible app open right now? Look at you all. Man. Whew. Okay. You sinners. Oh phones in church. No, I'm teasing. I am absolutely teasing. I don't really care how you read your Bible. Um, if it's on your phone, paper, copy, whatever. So, point is, do we know God's word well enough? Have we devoted ourselves to hearing God's word to the point that whenever it's time, whenever we get that opportunity to share God's word with somebody, we're ready to do it? Ezra was, and he got the call, and he was ready to go. But see, look who was there. I think this is just as important as hearing God's word. Look who was present here. It says that Ezra brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. 
And this same phrase is repeated over in verse 3. He uses this same phrase, all who could understand, all who could listen with understanding. Um, just so you know, we, we do, we dismiss our young kids during this time of the service if they would like to go. But one of the reasons that I, I, I will adamantly say we need to have times of family worship is because I believe that my five-year-old, my six-year-old, I guess he's not five anymore, my six-year-old who just walked out of the room, I didn't realize he was going to do that, um, I believe he can listen with understanding. I believe he can listen and understand. So I want him to be here when the word of God is read. I want him to be here for that. And I would encourage you, with, with your kids, read the word to them. You know what they can understand. So read to your kids. Let them hear the word of God. And whenever they're old enough to understand, and I've seen some young children who can, some who are much younger than six years old who can understand God's word, they need to hear it. So I would encourage family worship anytime we get together. See, we need to gather to hear the word. Men, women, children who can understand. We need to gather to hear God's word. So Ezra, they all gather. Ezra brings the book of the law, and he opens it, and he reads. And do you see how long he read this thing? He read, it says, from daybreak until noon. From daybreak until noon. You all know how long daybreak till noon is? About six hours. Six hours. Y'all, I'm just going to level with you for a minute. If I talk for an hour, y'all are going to start getting antsy, and you're probably going to get irritated with me, right? Let's just be honest. A lot, a lot of people probably would. What does that say about our desire for God's word? Look, I'm going to be a little bit critical right now, um, and I'll get to the other part of this in just a minute. If you want to complain about how long a sermon goes, I'm sorry, I'm probably not going to change it. Um, I, I probably won't. Uh, I've had people talk to me before about how long sermons go, and I, I care because I don't want to lose people, and I think it's too important not to lose people. But at the same time, like if I preach, if I come to a text that takes an hour to preach, I'm going to preach for an hour, and I don't really care if that hurts your feelings. Um, that's about as blunt as I can possibly be. Okay, and I love y'all, and I know your time is valuable, but this word is more valuable. So I'm going to take however long it takes to open this word and tell you what this word says and how it applies to our lives because it's too important not to. Okay? So now that I've hurt your feelings, I'll hurt my own feelings a little bit and say I know that part of the reason people get antsy is because I'm not a good enough preacher. And that's not me being self-deprecating. That's true. I need to be a better preacher. I need to get better at what I do also. So how about this? Let's make a deal right now. I will work at my craft and becoming a better preacher, and you work at your craft and become better hearers of God's word. How about that? Can we agree to that? I think that sounds fair. So, these people got together, and they wanted to hear God's word so much that not only did they get together to hear God's word, they stood for six hours. Six hours to hear God's word. So Ezra and these 13 men, they stood up here on a wooden platform. I know this is carpeted, but I promise there's, there's wood down there. Okay, Stood up on a wooden platform, and he read the word to him. He stood up so people could hear him. And as he opened the word in verse 5, it says, All the people stood up. You all know that we do that every week. We stand and we hear God's word. And the reason they did this is just out of respect for what God's word is. Like it's not some other book. If I stood up here and I opened up Harry Potter or something along those, I don't know, some of you might be like, No, no, Harry Potter. Um, whatever. I don't really care. If I stood up here and read any other book, I don't expect you to stand for that. God's word is different. We can stand for a minute in respect of God's word. So that's what we do. 
The reason I ask you to stand each week is that simple. I want you to, as a church, to know and show respect for God's word. See, then Ezra, it says that he blessed the Lord, the great God, and with their hands uplifted, all the people said, Amen, Amen. Then they knelt low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. What happens is, Ezra stands up here, and he blesses the Lord. Blesses the Lord. And the people respond. Okay. They respond, not just with any response. They say, Amen, Amen. They're responding in agreement. They're saying, Let it be so. They're agreeing with this blessing. Like, our God is awesome. Amen, amen. They can't help it. And you know what? I actually wrote down Atlas here because I don't know if Atlas is still in the room or not, but this was, it was so cute. We were singing that song just a minute ago, and I saw Atlas back there with his hand raised. I'm like, yes, I love it. This kid just, you know, has to raise his hand. I don't know what he was doing, but it, I'm just assuming. I'm assuming it was he just wanted to worship God. So um, anyway, I don't know. Maybe he's listening with understanding. Let's see. But anyway, I love it. I love it. But the people agreed, and they responded to the word of the Lord. So I wanted to stop for just a moment at this point. And I wanna, I'm gonna try, we're going to do this here in just a minute. We're going to do something that's going to make you all feel a little awkward, a little uncomfortable, and everybody loves it when the preacher says that. Um, but that's what we're going to do here in just a moment. Because I think sometimes we come together, and rightfully so, I think sometimes we come together and we sit there and we're very reverent. We, we're like, we've got to stay quiet like so people can hear. We're trying to be respectful of other people. Well, great, okay. But I think sometimes we, we fail to get excited about what God's word says we should get excited about. Like, I just want you to think about what God's word tells us for a moment. It tells us that we are sinners who are doomed for hell apart from the saving grace of Jesus Christ. But Jesus came and he made a way for us. Y'all know we should be excited about that. Like, not just a little excited. Like, we should be celebrating that. Like, we should be, like, ecstatic. This is the best news the world has ever seen. You were destined for hell until Jesus came in and paid your price. He loved you and made a way for you to be made right with God. Y'all, we should be excited about that. So here's what we're going to do. I, I asked Steve, because Steve builds the notes. Just so you know, Steve does an awesome job. He puts notes in every week. And I, I sent him these notes. And I said, I want the entire 103rd Psalm. All of it. I want the whole thing put in here. And we're going to stand here in just a minute. We're going to read through this. And I'm going to ask you to do something that's crazy. I'm going to ask you to talk in church. Y'all, this is going to be wild. Whew. Now, I've, I've said before, I'm, not, I'm, I'm definitely not a charismatic. Um, I'm not somebody who thinks that we should be running up and down the aisles, smacking people on the head and having them fall over in convulsions. I'm not that guy. Um, what, I, what I do think, though, is I think that we could be a little more expressive. I do think we could stand to be a little more expressive in our worship. So we're going to do it now. We're going to stand. Would you all stand with me? And here's what I'm going to do. I broke this down into sections. And I'm going to read a section. And whenever I'm done reading the section, I want you to say, Amen, Amen, if you agree with God's word. Okay? Now, I don't, want to, I don't just want you to say, Amen, Amen. I don't want that. Like, think about these words. And I promise you, if it doesn't make you say, Amen, Amen. I don't think you get it. As a matter of fact, I want us to be so expressive here in a minute that the charismatic church in town, they hear us down the road. I want us to like just absolutely shout amen because we know how awesome God's word is. And I want us to be engaged with God's word. So I'm going to read through this. And whenever I stop, I encourage you all to say amen, amen, if you agree with God's word. All right? It says, my soul bless the Lord and all that is within me bless his holy name. My soul bless the Lord and do not forget all his benefits. Well, we can get better than that, though. He forgives all our iniquity. He heals all our diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with good things. Your youth is renewed like the eagle. 
the Lord executes acts of righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He revealed his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. He will not always accuse us or be angry forever. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. Wow. Whew. I'm going to read that again. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. Amen. My goodness, y'all. Hear that word. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows what we are made of, remembering that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He blooms like a flower of the field. When the wind passes over it, it vanishes. And, a place, and its place is no longer known. But from eternity to eternity, the Lord's faithful love is toward those who fear him. And his righteousness towards the grandchildren of those who keep his covenant. Who remember to observe his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven. And his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, all his angels of great strength, who do his word, obedient to his command. Bless the Lord, all his armies, his servants who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in, the pla- in all the places where he rules. My soul, bless the Lord. Amen. Woo! Y'all, that's good stuff. Thank God for his word, and you may be seated. Woo! Y'all, I think I just had a vessel burst in my head. What's the point of that exercise? When we come together, we hear God's word. And if you hear God's word, it will change you. Like, just hear that word. These people heard it, and they couldn't help but say, Amen, amen, lift their hands, fall on their faces before God. So when we gather, we hear God's word. Second, we understand God's word. I guess I should say we try to understand God's word, but it doesn't fit so well in my notes. So, verse 7, we see these 13 Levites, they explain the law to the people as they stood in their places. They explain the law as they stood in their places. And literally this word explain in Hebrew, what it means is they caused them to understand. Okay, they caused the people to understand the word. Okay, that's the goal. That's what we want. That's what I hope on a Sunday morning. My hope is whenever I open this word, I can cause you to understand it. Now, understand something. I'm a man. I, I can't do a whole lot apart from God's grace. So what we need is God causing us to understand. That said, God often works through people. So I hope and I pray that we can cause you to understand God's word through the, his power that works through us. And the way they did this is found over in verse 8. It says that they read out of the book of the law of God, translating and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was read. So, they translated the word. Now, I just want you to think about this for a minute. What language was, did Moses write the law in? Anybody know? It's not a trick question. Hebrew. He wrote it in Hebrew. You know what the people speak at Nehemiah's time? Hebrew. So, What did they translate? Does that make sense? Because it's written in Hebrew, it's being read by Hebrew people. 
what, what needs to be translated? Well, uh, here's an illustration. Okay, um, could you put that first that first chunk of text up? This is straight out of the Bible, just so you all know. Um, I want to know if you all can read that. Like, does that make sense? I know some of you are thinking, Jerry, that's really small. Um, yeah, I know it's a lot, but <clears throat> actually, just what what in the world does this mean? God, what? What is this? Like, does that make sense to y'all? Or would you need a translation of that? Just so you know, that's English. And that's proper English. That's not wrong. Okay? Um, can we put that second one up there? So here's, here's a translated version for you. Um, this might sound a little more familiar. I tell you today that you will certainly perish and will not prolong your days in the land you are entering to possess across the Jordan. I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Love the Lord your God, obey him and remain faithful to him. For he is your life and he will prolong your days as you live in the land the Lord swore to give you uh, to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's, those are the same texts. Same text. You know what the difference is? About 500 years. About 500 years. The first one was from William Tyndale's Bible in 1534. The second one is the CSB that I'm holding today. Same text. Different words. Now, you know how much time separated Moses and Nehemiah? It's about a thousand years. So twice that span. Did you know that language changes? It does. Language changes. As a matter of fact, I don't speak the same way I did whenever I was five, not just because I've grown up, but because language has changed. I still say some things and kids look at me sometimes like, what? That doesn't make sense. Like, that's sweet. Like, what? You tasted something? No, I mean, that's, it's, it's cool. You mean it's not hot? No. Okay, so we could, go, we could chase this rabbit all day. But you get the point, right? Language changes. These people needed somebody to translate that word because they weren't able to sit down and understand it by reading it. If I had to sit down, even with a King James Version, like old King James Version, there's times where I look at that and I'm thinking, I don't know what that means. I have no idea what that word is. Okay, so sometimes we need a translation. We need somebody to translate the word so that we can understand. That's what these people did. So they translated it, and then they gave it meaning. The word, um, give it meaning, it actually carries the idea of dividing it into sections. So what they did is they broke it down into logical chunks. They broke it down into pieces so that they could then cause the people to understand, so that they could add clarity to what was being read. And as they read the word, the people hear the word, and they start weeping. Like they hear the law, and they just break down and start weeping, like crying uncontrollably. Why? Because they heard the law, and they were burdened by their own sinfulness. They heard God's standard of righteousness, and they said, we're doomed. We can't meet that standard. So they weep. I just want to tell you, sometimes I think we want to, whenever we share the good news, we want to jump to the joyful part before we understand the weeping part. The truth is, until somebody's convicted of their sin, they're probably never going to turn from it. So, that's just my own opinion. But what we do need to know is that we are sinful people. And the law will help us to understand that. Romans chapter 3, verse 20, actually, Paul talks about this. He says, For no one will be justified in his sight, in God's sight, by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. I promise you, if you go read the book of the law, you're going to see I'm a sinful person. I, prom- I, I, I can promise that. If you just look at the word, if you go look at the law of God, you'll see that you're a sinful person. And if you don't, I don't think you understand what you're reading. 
So that's what happens. They read this and the people start weeping. They were so broken. But the leaders, they came around, they pick him up, they pick him up off the ground, and they told them not to mourn because, because why? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. In other words, even though, yes, no, notice they didn't come around to pick him up and say, well, you're not that bad. They didn't come around and pick him up and say, well, you know, you were a little sinful in this area, but not so much over here. They didn't do that. They came around and they said, you know what, stop your weeping because the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord. In other words, you may be a filthy, rotten sinner, and the law is going to prove that, but our God is compassionate, he is merciful, he's forgiving, he's loving, and he's kind. So don't mourn because the joy of the Lord is your strength. To that, some people ought to say, amen, amen. Some of you were slow, but I'll take it. So the celebration breaks out because the people heard God's word. They understood God's word, which led them to repent of their sins. One scholar actually said that this weeping and then picking them up and telling them that the joy of your, the Lord will be your strength, there's, it, it, it's implied that there was repentance. So they repent of their sins and they turn. So what do we do whenever we gather? Hopefully we hear God's word, and I do my best to help you understand God's word. Third, we obey God's word. We need to obey God's word. Um, see, the conviction wasn't the end. They didn't start weeping and then just say, oh, well, we're hopeless. Okay, the end. No, the conviction led them to repentance, which led them to obedience. Verse 13, it says that they gather again. Not just once, they're going to gather again. And they invite Ezra to bring his Bible again. And just so you know, if we have a guest preacher and he shows up and preaches for six hours, y'all aren't going to want to invite him back. They did the next day. They had him come back. And they wanted him to preach again. So they assembled, and they specifically assembled to study the words of the law. And this word study, again, it means to understand or to have skill in. They wanted to come together, and they wanted Ezra to bring his, bring his Bible so that they could sit down and they could have skill in the word of the law. They wanted to know it so that they could apply it. And then in verse 14, they hear about this festival, right? Um, and the festival that they're talking about here is the Festival of Tabernacles, or the Festival of Booths is what it's called. And it was a time that each Israelite, they made a shelter or a, a booth or a tabernacle. They made this tent and they lived in it for a week. And the purpose was to remind them of God's deliverance, how he brought his people out of Egypt and he, they were in the wilderness for a time. So they were to remember God's deliverance. That was the purpose. And we likewise need to remember that God has delivered us from bondage, from sin and death. But the point I want you to see here is today is that they didn't just read and understand the word. They desired to practice God's word. They wanted to do God's word. They wanted in. So they heard God's word and they determined that they would obey. But see, a lot of times I think we, we view God's word or reading God's word or hearing God's word almost as, you know, the, the old get out of hell free card. Right? Like, we're just going to read this, and it's all about um, God's grace and, and the fluffy bunnies that come along with it, and everybody's happy, and everything's... Right? Now, don't get me wrong. We should absolutely celebrate, and I think I just told you that a minute ago. That sounds familiar. Um, but, but, the Bible has a lot, like, a lot to say about how followers of Jesus will live has an awful lot to say about how we live. See, we like to look at it and say, okay, we read about God's grace and his forgiveness and his mercy for of us. But don't infringe on my life where I have to change. The truth is, God's word is meant to change you. It's meant to change you. 
And not just part of you, like everything about you. All of it. We need to obey God's word. Read it and then do it. So my hope is not only that you know and understand God's word, I hope that you are willing and able to obey God's word. See, Jesus actually touches on this whenever he tells a, a, very, a very famous parable, the one of the two foundations, right? The man who built his house on the rock, the man who built his house on the sand. Now, there's a lot of similarities between those two groups. A lot of similarities between those two groups. Both of them built a house. Both of them faced storms. And both of them heard the word of God. Both of them heard it. One of them put it into practice. See, the difference wasn't hearing. The difference was practicing. That was the difference. The man who built his house on the rock heard, understood, and obeyed. The man who built his house on the sand heard and likely understood, but failed to put it into practice. That was the difference between the two. So we not only need to hear and understand God's word, we need to obey God's word. Okay? So, we hear, we understand, we obey, and then finally we celebrate God's word. And we touched on this just a minute ago with verse 12 where it says the people began to eat, drink, sin portions and have great celebration. Why did they have this great celebration? It's pretty simple. It's because they'd understood God's word that was explained to them. So they understood it. But not only should you receive it and obey it, um, but then it should cause you to celebrate. It's not some drudgery that we have to go through and, oh, I suppose i got to obey this. No, it's the most freeing thing to know that God is in control of all of it. We can follow him. We can obey him as we were created to. But then it goes on in verse 17. The celebration does. It says that everyone made shelters and lived in them. See, these Israelites, they found joy in something other than their usual comforts. They built their homes at this point. Just so you all know, if I have to go live in a tent for a week, I'm probably not going to be real thrilled. That's just me. Some of you are thinking, that sounds awesome. Like, I'll go live in a tent for a week, go off the grid. Some of you, uh, yeah, of course you're nodding. You would. Hunter Gordon, just so you know. I'll call him out. Okay. Yeah, go live in a tent for a week. Your parents are thinking, yeah, he should. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be thrilled if I had to do that. But these people, they found joy in doing this. See, I like my bed, but these people, they were thrilled to follow God, to obey him and celebrate this festival. In the last part of verse 17, it says that there was not just joy, it says that there was tremendous joy. Or if you're an NIV reader, it says, and their joy was great. Or New King James, it says, and, their jo- and there was very great gladness. These people were ecstatic to be doing what they wanted to. Literally, this is, again, the New Jared translation. Here it is. It says that there was a powerfully great jubilation. Whew. Y'all, those words make sense to me. There was powerfully great jubilation. These people couldn't contain themselves because they heard and they understood and they obeyed God's word. Obeying God's word doesn't bring this, oh, I got to go to church on Sunday morning doesn't bring that kind of drudgery. It brings joy. Now, don't, under, don't misunderstand. Okay, At times, it's going to require discipline. That's what we're talking about on Monday nights at our small group, is this idea of discipline. And it will require that. But I'll tell you what, some, I'll just be honest. There were times before I was a pastor. I love getting together with you all now. It's, it's fantastic. right? Do I have to say that? No. Okay. Somebody's shaking their head no. Sometimes I don't like you all that much. No, I'm kidding. I love you all. Um, I love getting together with you all. But I'll be honest, before I was a pastor, there were times where I, I didn't want to get up and go to church. I didn't want to obey where it says not to forsake the gathering. I didn't want to obey that. 
But just about every time after I did, I thought, man, I'm so glad I got up and I gathered with the body. And that's just one example. We could go to any number of things that we're commanded to do. Any number of things. Love your brother and sister. Loving somebody. Giving yourself away for somebody else like we're commanded to. Like we're taught to by Jesus. At first it may not seem all that pleasant. But I promise it brings joy. Like real joy. So obey God's word and it will bring this celebration. That's what these people experienced as they celebrated this festival. And these people were so ecstatic that not only did they throw a party, they threw an eight-day party. Like, they just couldn't stop it. They didn't even go home. They're like, you know what? I'm sleeping by the, by the gate. I'm not even going home tonight. I'm staying in my tent right here. Like, these sticks are leaned together. I think about it like the cartoons. They get two sticks and kind of lean them together and call it good. Yeah, that's kind of what I picture here. These people go out and they get these leafy palm branches and they're sleeping under them. And they're ecstatic to be doing it. Just can't contain it. This powerfully great jubilation breaks out. And on the eighth day then, it says that there was this, this assembly, or some translations say a solemn assembly. Um, Darren Biles, a professor at Southwestern Seminary, he writes that a solemn assembly was a day that generally included abstinence from all normal activity, fasting, and confession of sin. These people slept in tents for a week. For a week. And they loved it. And they loved it so much that on the eighth day they got up and they kept celebrating God and his word. Because God didn't stay hidden. Instead, he revealed himself to them. So they got up, and they fasted, and they prayed, and they confessed sin, and they blessed the awesome God that they served. Look, I'm not telling you to go sleep in a tent. Um, That's not the point. What I'm telling you is that whenever God's word gets a hold of you, and you obey it, it will bring sorrow, then it will bring repentance, and then obedience, and then there will be a celebration. There will be joy. Like, I can't explain. Just a freedom that brings all kinds of joy. So what do we do whenever we gather? We hear God's word, we understand God's word, we obey God's word, and we celebrate God's word. So what? Well, again, we live in a pretty unique time, don't we? Pretty unique time in history. Um. While I absolutely think that there's a place for the public reading of God's word, public gathering, you are thinking, Jared, you're a pastor, you have to say that. Uh, Well, I don't have to say that, but I do believe that. I think that there's a place to gather together and understand it corporately and have it explained corporately and and read corporately. Um, But the truth is, y'all don't have to wait till next Sunday to hear God's word. You don't. You don't have to wait to hear somebody else read God's word to you. Um. You got it on your phone, you already admitted as much. If not, you got a Bible, and if you don't, I'll give you one. You know what, you can have this one. I kind of like it, but I'll give it away anyway. Look, it's so accessible, but so many of us neglect it. Why? Why do we all neglect to hear God's word? Well, I think that that is a pretty loaded question, um, and to be honest with you, I'm not real sure why. Um... I don't really have an answer to that, but I know that many of us do, and many of us, including myself, often neglect God's word. Instead of opening it and reading it and hearing from the Lord, we let it sit on a shelf and collect dust. Um, I thought it was funny as we were reading through our study for Monday nights, um, the author actually made this comment about if every Christian opened their Bible at the same time, there'd be a dust storm like people would have never seen before. Um, It's a little funny, but I think it might be true. If we actually picked up our Bibles regularly, 
opened them and heard the word of the Lord, how different would we look? How different would we live? You know, we can all go turn on the news and we can complain about what the world looks like right now, right? I know we're, we're good at that. Like, really good at that. But the truth is, if God's people were to open this book, hear God's word, understand it, and obey it, how different would the world look? And I'm not just talking about Mound City, Fairfax, Northwest Missouri. I'm talking about, like, the world. All of it. If we opened it, we understood it, we obeyed it. So open it. Open the word. Hear it and understand it and obey it. But we need to hear God's word. Second, we need to obey God's word, okay? This is, this is something the book of James gets at, and this has come up a couple times this week, which I think is a little bit funny, because um, this has been in my notes for a while, but this has come up time and time again this week. James chapter 1, verse 22. James gets to this point. He says, but be doers, uh, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. Okay? Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Like if you hear the word, but you don't do it, it's just like that man who built his house on the sand. You know how it ended for him? And not good. It came down with a loud crash. Okay? And see, I think that last part of that verse, those last two words are important. We can hear God's word all day long. We can understand God's word all day long. But if we're not doers of the word, we're lying to ourselves. We're deceiving ourselves. Because James talks a lot about how faith, faith and works, they're not these two separate things like we often, we categorize. There's a work over here, there's a faith over here. Instead, they are fundamentally connected. If we really believe something, if we really believe that this is the inspired word of God, it will change how we treat it. It will change how we treat it. If I really believe that God, the God of the universe, cares how I love my wife, you better believe I'm going to love my wife differently. The God of the universe has given me responsibility for my kids. You better believe that that's going to change the way I raise my kids. The God of the universe cares how you interact with people around you at your job, in your church, wherever you are, in school. Like, God cares about those things. And if we really believe that, if we hear that and we understand that, but we don't do anything about it, we're just lying to ourselves. We don't really believe it at that point. But if we really believe it, we need to be doers of the word, not just hearers. So we need to obey God's word. We need to hear and then do God's word like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And finally, I want to encourage you to repent and then join the celebration. Like, that's the last thing I want to encourage you with. Um, sometimes we want to skip the first phase and we just want to join the celebration before we repent of our sins. Um, and honestly, a lot of churches, um, a lot of preachers will encourage you to do that. Um, Understand, I'm not telling you you got to be good enough before Jesus will accept you. But when Jesus accepts you, it will change your life. It will change your life. So understand God's word, which will convict you of your sin, but then repent of that sin and fall in love with the Savior who gave himself for you. He gave himself for you. So, even though we're sinners, and the law is going to prove it, Jesus came for sinners, and he says that he loves you despite your mistakes, despite your past. And whenever you come to him in faith and repentance, I promise you, he will welcome you with open arms every time, and he will love you. So, come to the word of God. Come to the word of God. The living, incarnate word of God, God Jesus. Come to him. He's the answer. Let's pray. Father, I, I want to come to you today, and I want to thank you. 
for your word. Um, and not just Nehemiah 8. Lord, although I certainly thank you for that word. Um, Lord, but I'm talking about the whole, whole book from Genesis to Revelation. God, I thank you for revealing yourself to us. For showing us who you are. Um, and telling us how much you love us and how much you care for us. And also telling us how to live this life so that it honors you. Lord, I pray that you would empower us to do that. I know that on my own, Lord, I'm, I'm nothing but a sinner who's, who's destined for hell. On my own, I can't do much good. Um, let me rephrase. On my own, God, I know I can't do anything good. Uh, but by your grace, you've made a way. So, Lord, I praise you for not only making that way, but then revealing it to us in this book. Lord, let us take your word seriously. Let us take this book seriously so that we know it, so that we can hear it, so that we're ready to share it with others, God, so that we can obey it, so that we can celebrate the good news that we have in Christ. Uh, Father, I thank you for this. Lord, I want to pray that you would use this word today to get a hold of whoever it is that you're wanting to get a hold of. Lord, I know that you've, you've challenged me with it, but Lord, I pray that you would call others to repentance, to obedience, um, Lord, to faith in Jesus. So Father, use this word as only you can. Um, Father, and for those who hear this word, I pray that you would give them understanding. Lord, I pray that you would give them a desire to, to not only understand, understand it, but then obey it, Lord, and to, uh, to follow you in whatever way that looks like, whether that's submitting to you as their Savior, um, following you with their lives, um, following you in baptism, following you in loving their neighbor, following you in telling uh, their co-worker about Christ. Father, I pray that you would help them to understand and then challenge them, Lord, to obey your word. So, Lord, help us, guide us, and direct us. We thank you for this time, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.